Hello, welcome to the Gentle Rebel podcast, where we're all about playing with ways to navigate life's harsher edges with a spirit of compassionate creativity. I'm Andy Mortimer, sound artist, songwriter and slow coach, and I love helping people understand and engage with their natural internal rhythms and processes using creativity and play so they can make sustainable progress on meaningful pursuits without getting overwhelmed, shutting down or burning out. In this week's episode, I am sharing a conversation I recently had with Justin Sinceri, who I discovered as the presenter of the Stuck Not Broken podcast. He's a self-described polyvagal-obsessed trauma recovery therapist and coach. And I discovered his podcast after we'd been reading Anchored um, by Deb Dana in The Haven. And I was kind of looking for other uh, resources around the polyvagal theory, kind of looking for you know, trustworthy things. And I started listening to his podcast and I was like, yes, this is somebody who um, I know I can trust. I would absolutely love to have a conversation with him for the Gentle Rebel podcast because he's got a real, um, a a really clear um, way of communicating and um, sharing ideas. So I thought it'd be great as a, um, yeah, someone to, to kind of get an introduction to polyvagal theory through Uh, And then to talk about some of the things that he has um, discussed on his podcast and and some of the uh, challenges that he has um, encountered um, kind of in his polyvagal theory, uh, trauma recovery therapy uh, in his work as a therapist and a coach. Um, So, yeah, I'm not going to say anything more because I think the conversation actually speaks very well for itself. Um, So let's get into it. I'll be back again at the end. Uh, just kind of wrap things up and and to say goodbye. Well, Justin, it is so good to have you on the Gentle Rebel podcast. Um, Thank you for agreeing to have this conversation. Uh, How are you doing? I'm doing great. We've already started chatting and I'm like laughing my butt off here and I'm, I'm worried you're going to trigger an asthma attack but i'm doing great <laughs> oh good good yeah so i was just sort of explaining before like my main aim really with this conversation is to i guess provide a bit of an introduction um an overview of the polyvagal theory and to explore some of the ways that i think it explains how we relate to ourselves and other people in the world around us um, and how it can also give us a map um, home back to you know regulation and connection in our nervous systems when we're kind of feeling that stuckness um, in dysregulation. I came across your Stuck Not Broken podcast after reading Anchored by Deb Dana. So my initiation into the yeah. polyvagal theory has been really quite recent, but there's been, it's almost been a Ah, that puts into words and it puts into theory something that has been very intuitively exactly. there in my practice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've just found your your podcast a really helpful resource when it comes to. Uh, I think you describe it as like getting beneath the psychobabble and and getting to the yeah the kind of core yeah. of it in simple language and stuff. So yeah, I guess firstly, love to hear a little bit about your background um what are you doing at the moment and how did you get into polyvagal theory initially okay um and thanks again for having me on super happy to be here my i'm a therapist i work currently in a public school district very high needs public school district i have a couple of high school sites 
that I work at. Um, over the years, I have worked with lots of kids, families, uh, lots of family therapy, lots of parenting groups. I also do a private practice with uh, mostly adults uh, on the side. I guess it's like my side hustle right now is my private practice. Over the years, lots of time, yeah, with kids and mostly high needs, high risk uh, populations, a lot of gang stuff, um, substance abuse, self-harm, a lot of that, you know, county level, nonprofits, like that, that kind of stuff. And then for funsies, I do my podcast, Duck Not Broken, and uh, other things within mental health and the trauma sphere. That's kind of what I'm drawn to, even in my, in my free time. And then as far as what brought me to political theory, I think it was like, must have been five, six years ago at this point. I uh, was, you know, working as a therapist um, and just really not satisfied with the outcomes I was getting, especially with those that were more heavily traumatized. Like I just was having a hard time connecting and helping them to get to the change that they wanted to see or that, you know, we wanted to make to to make it in, through therapy. So I, uh, as a therapist working in the school district, we have summers, we still work during the summers and we can still meet with kids, but we have a lot more time to do professional development. So I spent uh, all of like July, I think it was in one of these summers, researching trauma and really starting from scratch and trying to figure out what that was, what it meant and how to treat it. And I stumbled, my entry point was uh, Peter Levine and uh, somatic experiencing. And my first impression was like, this is silly or it's nonsense or, you know, it wasn't, I don't know, like it was hokey, you know? Hmm. And, uh, but then I reminded myself, you know, no, you don't know what you're doing and we're starting from scratch and you're going to be curious and, and open to whatever it is, you know? And so I just kind of followed that path, that learning path. And it led me eventually to Dr. Stephen Porges doing, um, I think it was a lecture on the political theory and he had these awful PowerPoint slides. And uh, so, you know, it made, it made sense. Uh, it was, it clicked enough for me to be like, oh, okay, there's something happening here that he's explaining that Peter Levine and somatic experiencing are doing. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, oh, okay, there's science underneath this guy's action. So Portis has the science, Levine has the, the how-to basically. And from there, it was like just off and running. Like I, I was just hooked. Uh, it made enough sense for me to keep going and just to keep diving into it and to take in his lectures, his interviews, but then also read his books. Read, even now I'm trying more and more to read his primary papers to see if I get to that next level of understanding. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's here I am. So it's like that initial burst of interest or passion has just like continued over the years and it's something I'm not done with. Mm. It's really cool. It's really interesting the way that you describe that um, that process of like seeing seeing it as hokey at first, and you know, the, it's one of the things I really appreciate about the way that you hold it on, in your podcast. There's a I have a real sense of trust in the way that you present things because you're not just a, a yes man in terms of like if something comes from these yeah. people. I'm going to lap it up and tell everyone this is right and everything. Like, I really appreciate that. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. It's, uh, 
yeah, I appreciate that. There's like, again, in the trauma sphere or in the mental health sphere, we'll say there is tons of like popular stuff and it comes and goes. And I hope political theory isn't one of those things. To me, it's very foundational and it's going to be at the core of what I do. I think from here on, it has been, it hasn't subsided whatsoever. And I think it's not a modality. It's not a treatment style. It is the science that explains what we do. So it's not preventative. It's not prescriptive. Exactly. So, yeah, but I mean, there's, there's so much stuff, so many modalities. Here's the newest one. Here's the one that's, you know, that's hot right now. And people tend to try to take all of it and incorporate it, but then they end up just taking pieces of it. Like a lot of my coworkers or are, are using um, what they call bilateral stimulation. So I'm like, you're not doing the whole thing. You're just taking like a piece of EMDR. And they're like, yeah, I just sort of, you just take what you want. It's like, no, it's, I don't think that's the way it works. Um, but that's kind of what we're left with is we are piecemealing things from what's popular and then putting it together. And that's not bad, I guess, but it's also not holding any sort of fidelity. And I don't think it's really getting to the heart of these things. Like there might be something within each of these modalities that's helpful, but we're just sort of picking what is popular or what seems to be effective. And then we come out with this like scrambled egg sort of thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we'll get into that whole thing a, a little yeah, bit yeah. Um, further on. I think it would be good to just start with that that scientific foundation, um, assuming yeah. that, you know, people, you know, there will be people listening who know a little bit about polyvagal theory. There'll be people who know a lot, but there will also be a lot of people who don't know anything. And, and I want to start yeah. from that position. So assuming Definitely. no prior knowledge, yeah, where do you start? How do you describe um, polyvagal theory and... Yeah, go from there. Yeah, for uh, I think the one-liner is it's the science of safety. It's, you know, period. <laughs> it, but it's in more depth. It's the science of how uh, specifically mammals, but more spe specifically us, how humans connect in safety, but also how we respond when we're in danger or life-threatening situations. So it's kind of like the science of relationships and safety and danger, you know? Mm -hmm. that's the i think the basic basic idea yeah to take things even further would be to talk about the autonomic nervous system and how we respond to these different contexts auto automatically or autonomically how this is not a conscious thing but we tend to get closer to each other and make eye contact and hug and smile when not only are we in safe context so literally the environment safe and we're with a safe person but we have this thing called safety in our body and that's an autonomic nervous system state where basically our body is prepared to for safety is prepared to interact with in, in safe contexts but it's prepared to accept connection from other people but even from pets in the safety state, we can be more mindful and meditative. So I think the next level of understanding this stuff is our bodies can be prepared for safety and all the, you know, beautiful, wonderful ways that presents itself, but also calm and playful ways. But it can also be prepared for danger. And the, the way that looks is running away or fighting. I mean, it's more complex. It's the basic idea is evasion or aggression. And so, but that again, is not like we're choosing to do those things. Our body 
enters a state of flight or fight, basically. I'm sure people have heard of that. But it's not a choice, not like some people choose this and some people choose that. It's actually a state that our body's body enters into when we can't be safe. So the metaphor for this that I like is the polyvagal ladder metaphor. If you imagine these states, these biological pathways of circuitry, like the way they're organized or evolve within us, we have the safety state at the top, flight and fight is in the middle. So if we lose access to the pathways at the top, we actually climb down, think of it like a ladder, metaphorically like a ladder, we go down into the flight fight state. So we don't choose that. We simply lose access to those safety pathways and then drop down into the flight fight pathways. And then we are more anxious and evasive or irritable and aggressive, basically, day to day. So if we can't run away or fight, then we drop down even further to the bottom of that polyvagal ladder and we enter into what's called the shutdown state. And this is where we can't be safe, can't run away, can't fight. And our body basically enters into a state of conservation. And at the extreme, it's like a limp collapse, fainting, uh, death painting, playing possum, like that kind of thing. Like at the extreme, that's what it could look like. Day to day doesn't look like that exactly, but at the extreme, that's what it looks like. So yeah, that's that's the bottom of the polyvagal ladder is that shutdown state. If we can't be safe, can't run away, we can't fight, then we drop down to our shutdown state in, in circumstances of life threat. So that's the ladder. But none of this stuff, again, I want to kind of like focus in on this. It's not a choice. I think a lot of times when people go through these contexts, they look back and say, why didn't I? And then, you know, fill in the blank or I should have fill in the blank. And that's, I get that. I can validate why someone would do that, but it's really actually a matter of looking at it as my body entered these different states in order to help me survive whatever it was that I went through. And I think there's a lot less judgment when you look at it that way. If you just look at it, look at it as a biological process, I think the judgment can help to soften at least. I think some people it's like, oh, what a relief. I don't have to carry that with me anymore, that um, that judgment. Yeah. But at least can help it to soften and give a, a normalizing explanation for maybe what somebody went through. So that's the letter. You go from top to bottom, but the same, it's actually... Uh, the same thing, but reverse to come out of it. So even if you're not in that situation, even if you're in a situation where there's, where you're safe, you might still be stuck in a defensive state, like shutdown or flight fight. You have to come out of that in the reverse order. You have to go from shutdown to flight fight and then to safety. You, you don't just choose to be safe and connect with people. You have, your body has to be prepared for that. And it has to actually come up that polyvagal ladder, which is, can, can be a long process for And that's what we call trauma is being stuck in a, in a defensive state and that can last for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. When you kind of, yeah, that, that phrase stuck, not broken, what does it mean to be uh, stuck in a defensive state? And yeah. How do you begin to work with that? Yeah, that's, that's what it means. It's you're stuck in a defensive state uh, and you're, you're not broken. So broken to me is like you're born with some sort of defect. You're born anxious and that's it. And good luck, you know, or you're born as an angry person or someone who has panic or you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. 
like you're born that way or you are permanently that way. And I just, I don't see things that way. Uh, that's not what I've seen as a therapist. I, I, I think I've yet to meet with that person that I believe is like, yeah, it sucks. This is just how you are. <laughs> you know, I haven't met that person yet. So the way I've always viewed things and the way the political theory explains is that and uh, somatic experience with Peter Levine is that it's an issue of being stuck in a state of defense. Your autonomic nervous system is stuck in a state of shutdown or flight fight. So your body is stuck in this state of being prepared for uh, survival mm-hmm. or, or of enduring a life-threatening situation. Yeah. Like that's the basic idea. You're, you're stuck. You're not broken. So you're always, you're always in that ready to respond to yeah. everything from that state. Yeah. Yeah. Ready to respond with evasion or aggression or ready to endure. I think people have put it that way when it comes to that life-threatening overwhelm. Uh, that would be more of like endurance or ready to hide, ready to be alone, which is more of a shutdown kind of thing. Yeah. So your body, but your body's not prepared for connection and safety and, you know, living in the moment and being calm and relaxed. Hmm. You like you, literally that individual is, is unable to do those things because their body is stuck in a state of, of defense. Right. Hmm. So the way to eventually start to come out of that, the first thing is, is to feel safe. And well, okay, even before that is to actually have safe context. So are you, are you literally safe? Is your environment literally safe? And on top of that, ideally, do you have safe people in your life? Because you might have a home where you don't feel safe, but can you go to school? Can you go to your therapist? Is your workplace or the park in your neighborhood, are these places where you can go to get literal safety or be with other people that have, uh, that they're safe, that they're non-threatening and that they're actually giving you what we call cues of safety. So if you can get those two things, that's going to help to activate your safety pathways. And that's going to be really important for coming, climbing that polyvagal ladder in the reverse and coming up into the safety state more and more and more. So you can activate those safety pathways then eventually it's not easy, but eventually someone kind of needs to feel mindfully their stuck defensive state. And then to allow this process of ladder climbing or self-regulation to unfold, like it'll naturally unfold. It is not easy. There's lots of obstacles along the way, but that, that is the basic idea of, of how to anchor in safety first and then mindfully allow that self-regulation process to unfold. Hmm. that's really really nicely articulated and set out there <laughs> not easy not easy no and can take a very long time takes lots of practice but that's that's the basic idea hmm. and imagine is completely different from one individual to the next how it kind of like what that looks like yeah 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 the, the basic idea holds the same but for some people you know, I meet with them and in one session, they're like, let's do this. I'm ready. You know, they have more flight by energy in their system or maybe some freeze, but they have somehow gotten themselves to the point where they can welcome their defensive activation and embrace it. So basically their safety state's already developed enough. They've had enough safe resources in their life or safe people to, 
to have those pathways be strong enough to then welcome that defensive activation and like they're ready to go and we can make lots of change pretty quickly. That's not everybody. Mm -hmm. But then there's also individuals that are like, I don't know what the hell to do. I'm here. I don't like, you know, my work. I don't care for my spouse right now. I have no hobbies. Like they're just at a point, maybe, maybe like a deep shutdown and they don't have much reference point for safety. Maybe their childhood was awful. So yeah, it's a longer process for that person. The, the basic idea still holds true, which is we have to access safety and then practice that. And then eventually feel what it's like to be in shutdown and then self-regulation can unfold. So still basic ideas there, but how long it takes, what it looks like, you know, finding safety for one person is different than for the next person. The basic idea is true, yeah. but the, the way it looks, the activities, the behaviors, the images in your mind of what safety can look like, all that's different. The practical application of your day-to-day -day life, all that can look different, but the basic idea is the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's um, what you've just described there is the, something I hear a lot from people is I'm in a state of like functional numbness. So I yeah. guess it would be that bottom of the ladder, you know, I'm able to go through the motions and, do what I need to do in life, but I just feel disconnected from it. There's no sense of, yep. of me being there. And yeah. 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 That would be a functional way of living. And like you're functioning your day to day, you're getting your needs met. Maybe you're getting your kids to school, going to work, but there's not much energy. There's not much passion or calmness or relaxation or connection. You're, you're there, but not really like, you're not quite there. There, there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so one of the other elements of the theory is the idea of mixed states. So I don't know if that would be a place to go next. Um, sure. because yeah, I mean, the, the, you heard you, uh, talking about the introduction of some new mixed states in, uh, Stephen Porges's new book. Um, and so there's a, I think that it strikes me that there's a potential to get quite confusing. <laughs> um, I that, really think but, there is. Yeah, yeah, I really think there is. I, I think it's a very, very, very slippery slope. So there, I, I conceptualize them as primary. So we have the primary states, which is what we just went over safety, flight, fight, shutdown. It's flight and fighter is the same state. They just have different presentations, but it's, it's the same state, the sympathetic system. So those are our three primary states and conceptualize this like, like they're mixed, like they're um, primary colors. So red, yellow, and blue are the primary colors, right? When you mix the primary colors, you get what? You get mixed or secondary colors. So if we just take our primary states and mix them, we would get mixed states, hybrid states, uh, secondary states. So if we mix, let's say safety plus fight, flight, fight, we would get something called play and play is mobile. You have energy. That's the flight fight piece of it, but you're safe and you're able to look at the other person in the face that you're playing with and smile and laugh together. That's the, so the safety and social engagement piece of it. So there's two states active at the same time that creates this whole different behavior set and presentation. If we mix safety plus shutdown, 
we would get something called stillness, which is immobility. Like right now, you and I have some level of stillness. We're immobile, but it seems like we're okay with it. I have a little bit of flight fight in my system as well. Whenever I do these things, I feel a little more anxious. Mm-hmm. Plus I had coffee before this is like <laughs> ramped it up. So, but for the most part, we have some level of stillness. I have a little more mobility. It looks like than you do in your system, right? So that's stillness. That's the second mixed state stillness. And then if you mix flight fight plus shutdown, you get another mixed state, which is called freeze. So that's where you're the, you have immobility of shutdown plus the energy of flight fight. So shutdown and freeze are both immobile, but shutdown is like limp collapsed immobile and freeze is like tense immobile because the heart rate's high, muscles are tense, breathing's very shallow. So that's that's freeze. Shutdown is everything just kind of slows down and, and collapses. That's an important distinction, is it? Because I've it seen is, yeah. freeze get just described right. as like synonymous with shutdown in the past. Yeah, yeah, it's a very important distinction. Mm-hmm. So those those are the primary states, and then what I'm kind of conceptualizing as the original mixed states. Recently, there's been some conceptualized mixed states. One of them is uh, intimacy which is also being called shutdown plus safety, which is, that's already stillness, right? So intimacy is the better way I think to understand it is stillness with somebody else who's also in stillness or, or stillness, co-regulatory stillness. And co-regulation is the receiving of cues of safety from somebody else or giving them to somebody else. So stillness to me, I'm sorry, intimacy to me makes more sense as stillness with co-regulation yeah that's how how i would conceptualize that Mm. the other new mixed states are appease and fawn appeasement i can kind of see i can kind of get on board with that that's conceptualized as being all of the mix all the states safety plus fight fight plus shutdown all of those are active at the same time that results in this behavior of being in a life-threatening situation, so that's the shutdown piece of it, but being prepared to run away or flee, that's flight fight, but also being able to offer up what looks like co-regulation. And I don't I don't know if it's genuine safety and co-regulation or if it's like a pseudo kind of thing. I don't know that, but that's the idea behind appeasement is all the states are active in a situation like, like some sort of captivity or... Um, it's it's supposed to replace like Stockholm syndrome, so like a, a hostage situation or maybe some sort of extreme domestic violence kind of thing. I think that's the idea of appeasement is that all the states are active and the intention, the biological intention is to get the predator or perpetrator to calm down enough so that the life threat diminishes. That's, that's the argument uh, for that. The problem I have with that is Right now, I have all my states active. I have enough safety to be able to, if we were in person, I'd be able to make eye contact with you. Like I'm trying to right now through the lens, yeah. but like, you know, it only <laughs> so goes so far. Challenge. <laughs> yeah, so I can make eye contact with you. I could give you a handshake. We'd smile. You know, I'd have warm feelings, but I'd be able to be kind of animated, but also sit still in immobility. So I, I'm in all my states. Hmm. 
but I wouldn't be in a, in a appeasement mixed state. So for me, the question is what makes appeasement different than what would I'm because right, right now my states are active and pretty much at all times, all of our states are active a little bit. So I'm more interested in like, well, what's the measurement of this is now appeasement. And to me, that would come down to, a, I think my, my conceptualization is that there's probably a significant amount of shutdown happening because in appeasement situations, that person's not just giving cues of safety, but oftentimes they're aligning with the perpetrator's goals mm -hmm. and really doing things that are immoral or against their own values. And I don't know how someone does that unless they are in a significant, massive shutdown, dissociative state. So I see, I conceptualize it as shutdown is the primary dominant state. And then the other two states are active to some degree, but shut, it's really, I think, more of like a shutdown state. Hmm. And then fawn is similar where the co-regulation piece of it's not there, but it's conceptualized as far as political theory as flight fight plus shutdown, but we already know it's freeze. So again, it's like what makes fawn different and what makes it different is the context of it, which is in again, like a, a situation where someone is basically a captive, they cannot escape from it. So this would be like domestic violence types of situations. But the intention here of the person in fawn is not to co-regulate and give cues of safety. It's more about I, uh, being compliant or placating the, the perpetrator in an attempt to reduce the potential of life threat. But again, I conceptualize this as massively shut down and dissociative, which disconnects that person from their true self, their true needs, and their values and, and, and morality and whatnot. Mm. And instead, they now prioritize and comply with their perpetrator just to survive. And yeah. I don't blame them. That's just not the issue. So to me, it's a shutdown state that presents in different ways. That's how I look at fawn and appease personally. But the official polyvagal thing is it's now a mixed state. And this is where, yeah, like you said, it becomes a slippery slope because it's like, well, what else could be a mixed state? If you're just looking at behaviors, we can always infer there's some sort of state there. So exercise would now be a mixed state, like you're mobile, but you're safe, but without somebody. So it's not play, but you're still mobile and safe. So is exercise now a mixed state? Is sex now a mixed state? Is, um, I don't know, sleeping a mixed state? It's, I think it's a slippery slope. Mm. Yeah, that's a really interesting, uh, you, on one of your podcasts, you talked about, you know, is podcasting a mixed state? You know, I'm in all of those states and- You know what I mean? It, yeah. Exactly. And I think, it's almost one of those things it's helpful to take it to the absurd extreme to to kind of then bring it back to okay what what have we just lost touch with um and i think that's really helpful yeah. having those primary states those secondary you know mixed colors that's a, a really good image yeah. to hold and i think the the we should view these things as i think it's it's helpful to know the primary states and then whatever we're looking at i would what i ask myself and when i'm working with people in therapy is what's their dominant state. That's what I want to know. Cause we can't, I can't measure any of the stuff besides what they present as, you know? So if someone is in a massively shutdown or a significant shutdown state, we can, we can see that, oh, okay, like your behaviors, your thoughts are colored by a dominant shutdown state, whether we call that appeasement or fawning or whatever else is less important to me. I'm more focused on let's, let's, 
work on this shutdown stuff. Mm. That, that's the obvious dominant state. And I think that's kind of the more helpful lens. And then what's the context of that dominant state? So if it's with somebody, then it might the, it might show as appeasements or fawning maybe. If you're alone, it might show up as isolation and depression. If you're with, or it could show up as stillness and you're okay with it and you're peaceful and you're meditating. So to me, it's more about the dominant state and then what's the context of the dominant state and how much safety, how much safety is influencing your system. That's, that's more my interest. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's really helpful. And I think, and just seeing it through that lens of survival is really interesting. So yeah, looking at the, you know, it's going to, there are going to be different flavors of those states, depending on the situation that you're in Um, and that subconscious uh, sense of like, okay, what is, is fight an option? No flight an option. No. Uh, so shut down, not really. So I'm going to have to find a way to get through this. And yeah, yeah that is going to probably be very different on in different contexts yeah. as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Different contexts, different people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, another thing that I found interesting. So I think I, I don't know if it was Deb Dana that um, kind of coined it, but the idea of a story follow state, um, mm-hmm. kind of just to, I can't remember what you said earlier, but there was something that made me think about that when I was thinking about a lot mm. of, a lot of kind of, I guess, contemporary psychological models and the way that we, you know, things that are popular at the moment, a lot of stuff yeah. follows like around this idea of mindset and like, oh, you just have to change your, your mindset and then you can yeah whatever um yeah. and i found that story for like because to me mindset is story really like it's you know the story we're telling ourselves and it's like actually can we change our state from a story or is our state informing our story um so yeah what's what's that kind of about uh, yeah, yeah i'd love to hear your thoughts on that St- okay we'll, we'll start with story follow status yeah it's a deb dana brainchild i believe and she argued or puts forward that the thoughts of our brain come from the state of our body. So if you have thoughts that are very empathetic and hopeful, positive, that probably comes from a state of uh, safety, your safety state. So those pathways are active and that sends signals to your brainstem that sends, uh, I don't know, information to your brain. I don't know. I can't get super detailed on a lot of this stuff. That's the basic idea. Hmm. And it kind of like unlocks your brain's ability to think in different ways. Like it, it, it unrestricts it. When you're in flight fight, your brainstem is now in a defense, uh, yeah, defensive state, survival state. Your capacity to think is narrowed. So your thoughts will change. Your, your thoughts will be more, mm, I would say, blaming maybe shaming i would definitely say blaming you're avoiding responsibility like i didn't do it, it wasn't me whereas in a safety state you'd be able to say yeah that's that's on me my bad I, I feel bad i feel awful that i i hurt you in that way and then in a shutdown state the potential of your thoughts is like way narrowed and things become more hopeless more pessimistic like there's no point there's no point in trying why am i doing this so the thoughts in your brain come from the state that you're autonomic nervous system is in that that's that story follow state Mm -hmm. and yeah a lot of 
therapy and, and coaching, I think in particular, focuses on what's your mindset and what's your, if we can change your thinking. I think AA has the whole stinking thinking. I'm not sure if that came from AA or not. But if we could change the way you're thinking, your thoughts are the problem. And through the political theory, we can see that the thoughts, yeah, they're a problem, but they're not the problem. They come from, they are secondary to your, the state of your body. Hmm. The, the real issue is you're stuck in a flight fight state. We got to deal with that. Hmm. And then if we can deal with that, then your thoughts will naturally change as you work your way up your political ladder, they'll get more positive and empathetic. And that's what we want. Uh, but simply trying to change the thoughts is very difficult and can often result in, I think, more frustration uh, than anything. I think that thoughts change, attempting to work with thoughts can help, like doing a simple, you know, reframe, like this is what I'm hearing you saying. What if we looked at it this way? Mm. I think that can be helpful, but there's also other things in that moment that are helping, like being with a co-regulative other person, like that's going to, in a safe environment, that's going to help as well. So it's, it's, it's hard to isolate just the thought as the factor, like the factor. But yeah, if we, if we change our thoughts, uh, it can generally help. It'll help shift our state. So if I, a lot of times what I do as a therapist and I invite listeners after, you know, listening to this to imagine safety, uh, do the best you can to imagine a place where you are safe, where you feel calm and relaxed or you feel freedom, or you feel playful, like what would that place look like? So as you change your thoughts to create an image, or if you, as, as you allow an image of safety to, to come up, then your body should soften along with it. The, so that's one piece of it. But the next piece would be like, what would you, in that imaginary place, get more detail, like what's there? What's the air like? What's the sky like? What's the, what's under your feet? What are you smelling? What are you tasting? Who are you with? Or are you alone? How much sunlight is there? What's the temperature? So like describe what it's like. Imagine what it's like to be there and then really immerse yourself in it as much as you can. And then you might notice that your body starts to like soften and you might have more safety in your system. I do that in therapy a lot as like an intro to these ideas and as a reference point for what safety can feel like. So yeah, I mean, that's changing our thoughts, that's changing our story, and that changes our state. So it, it, the reverse is also true, but the primary factor, I think day to day, and in therapy is, can we change your your state? And then, and then your thoughts will change. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like you're trying to force the thoughts to change so that everything else changes. And actually the thoughts are useful to work with and recognize like almost yeah. points of awareness. It's like, Oh, I'm thinking this. And as you said, that simple reframe is how about we think about it like this? Um, Oh yeah, that yeah. hadn't occurred to me and I'm not sure I can exactly. think about it like that. So what does that tell me about the state that I'm in? And like, yeah, then how can I anchor maybe in, in safety? There? Yeah. yeah. Well, even, you know, learning this, like I said before, learning this polyvagal stuff is normalizing. Mm. So that, having new pieces of education can help out. So I was like, I learned a new scientific uh, paradigm, political theory that gives me a new story for what I went through. And then that can help soften someone's state and to access more safety. So having new information can provide a new story, a new narrative. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that takes us on to um, a little area I wanted to, explore 
which was inspired by your episode, It's Just You, No Ego, No Shadow, No Parts, No dot, dot, dot. Um, and I, I found that a really helpful episode um, because you, you're kind of, I guess, distinguishing between polyvagal theory as that sort of scientific foundational thing, like that biological core, uh, versus some, I guess, explicit modalities and metaphorical frameworks that um, I think you described as like big brain to brain stem reframes um, that might help us get into regulated states. Um, yeah. But they fundamentally just add another cognitive layer to our, yeah. you know, our kind of relationship with that stuff. And uh, you came up with puzzle completion therapy. Uh, speak to well, not not literally though that was this is not a thing it's not real <laughs> just to, as a qualifier as a yeah the the idea the original idea is the way that i view things and i think the way things are honestly is that like it's it's just you there's just you and there's you know other people in the world i'm not saying that but when it comes down to it can you feel what you're going through can you allow your defensive state with compassion and can you feel your feelings? Can you, you know, welcome your thoughts and memories and all that stuff? Like that's all these are you. And this is the experience of you in the present moment. And that's real, right? But that's really hard to do. And I think people validly have a very difficult time doing that. And even I have sometimes I have difficulty with doing that as well. It's okay. So like we can embrace that and we can work with that, but instead I think what we do is we gravitate toward things that take us a step away from our true felt experience in the present moment. And so rather than noticing and feeling, we conceptualize, well, maybe there's a different part of me that feels this way, like a the firefighter part or a protector part or some part, something, there's something else inside of me that's feeling this. And I think that can be helpful. It may help to contain some really intense feelings. So it can work as this top down metaphor. Uh, there, there's no other part of you. You don't have another part. Like it's just you. That, that's what I mean. Like it's, it's just you. There's no other, there's no ego. You don't have an ego. It's just you. Uh, there's no shadow. Uh, there's no archetypes. Like it's, that's what I'm saying. Like it's just you. Instead of trying to conceptualize, like just feel. And I'm saying it very simply, and I know it's more difficult than that, but that's the basic idea. Mm. So instead of adding that layer, like there's your, our conscious awareness and I want our conscious awareness to be as aligned with our feelings as possible. Like we're having a feeling right now. I want to be able to be aware of that as much as I can and feel it and experience it with compassion. But if I have to first take my conscious awareness and filter it through thinking of myself as having numerous parts who each have their own function and role and <laughs> a little like where did that come from thumbs up came up that's a new apple thing like you can help <laughs> this out if you want to that's like a new apple thing if you give a thumbs up oh, uh... it's not happening. yeah it'll come up with like thumbs up or thumbs down or I'm using my Apple phone. That's why. Oh. There we go. Oh, okay. Or like I was in a therapy session and I don't know what the hell I did, but like balloons came up. <laughs> I was doing a virtual <laughs> therapy session. 
at an appropriate was, time. Luckily, it was like <laughs> we laughed about it, and it was, it was a, a nice little moment of surprise, and it, it worked out just fine. But it was, yeah, Apple has these new things. I think we could turn them off, but whatever. It's kind of fun. Anyhow, <laughs> so where was I? I was saying if we have to take our consciousness or our awareness and filter it through these other pieces or these ideas about having other parts who have their own roles and names and functions and how they interact with each other. There's like all these like layers of thought and cognition that we have to go through to get to how we feel. And for some people, they say they need that. Fine. I'm totally fine with that. But you, those aren't real. It, it, it is just you and your and what you're feeling inside. There's your conscious awareness and what you're feeling inside. And we, I think we're very aware of our thoughts. We're very aware of, you know, being mean to ourselves in our head. Might be aware of our external world, but we're not very good at being aware of what's emotionally happening within us. And underneath that emotion, there's these sensations, there's these impulses we have that we're not very good at being aware of. So I want people to get as close to that as they can without adding in other cognitive layers like archetypes and egos and shadows and all that stuff that psychology makes a living off of. Hmm. That's the idea. So yeah, the silly example I came up with, which is not so silly because it's kind of believable is, well, what if I just create a whole new cognitive layer and, you know, let's pretend like we are on this quest or we're striving in life to fill in that hole that we have inside of us. There's something missing. You know, there's something missing for us to become a complete person. It's like a puzzle. It's like a puzzle piece that we're missing. And so we could take this, this metaphor, this idea, and someone could say, yeah, I do feel like I'm missing something. Damn it. There is something I'm missing. And they might connect with that idea. And then I would say, well, I have this modality called puzzle self therapy. And we have to figure out what your puzzle pieces are and what function and what shape they have and where they live in your body. And we have to find that missing puzzle piece, which is maybe, I don't know, a relationship, a hobby, a passion, a, a this or that. I don't know. It's all made up. So that kind of sounds plausible in a sense. And I could totally develop that. And I, I was playing around with this idea and I started to develop it. And I was looking at like, there's different shapes of puzzle pieces that each have their own name and rung and function and role. And I was like, this is kind of scary. Like I could totally develop this into something that sounds plausible as a therapeutic modality, but it's all made up and I know it's made up and I don't want to put something out there that someone could be deceived by. So I stopped because I didn't, it felt icky, but that's the idea is like, we could use any metaphor. We can make up something and then pull from different therapeutic modalities, you know, about like, like EMDR is not just eye bilateral stimulation. They there's numerous things they do that are, the same across all modalities that are not unique. So we could totally do that. We could have our unique idea of puzzle self therapy or puzzle pieces missing, and then just incorporate common therapeutic factors and call that a new modality. And who knows, maybe it'll take off and become the next popular thing, but it's not real. There's nothing to it. It's, mm. it's completely made up. It is a metaphor and maybe it'll, maybe it helps to contain someone's, defensive activation and helps them to conceptualize that they're on the right path or they're just missing something from their life. And I'm at some point in therapy, I've probably used this metaphor, but it is, it's a metaphor. It's a, it's just a cognitive metaphor to help you conceptualize. There's no missing, there's no thing. There's no puzzle piece that's missing inside of you. 
Yeah. Yeah, and no, that's why I think it's a, such a good example of, to, to highlight, again, the absurdity of, I guess it's taking, because, you know, I've done, I've done coaching sessions where it will become obvious there's a, a little metaphor that's going to help in this situation because yeah. of the way that somebody is processing or thinking and framing things. It's like, okay, let's, For sure. let's take the, the idea of a puzzle um, and, you know, Oh, you've used us. I I haven't done that myself, but like as an example, you might do in a session. Um, Yeah. But then it's taking it. And I guess the, the, the point you get to is you require an expert to guide you through because if somebody has developed this modality, they've developed this metaphor to a point where you believe that it's true. It's like, well, only them and people trained by them and, you know, all of that, you get into that whole industrial complex of, you know, psychological things. Um, yeah. I mean, if let's say I develop this into a modality uh, um, and it's taken off and it's popular and people are using it, at any point I could decree, you know what, there's a whole thing we're missing here. We're missing the foundation the puzzle's laying on. My goodness, this opens up a whole new you know, thing that you have to follow me for and get my yeah. decrees and my wisdom. I mean, like what is stopping someone with, you know, like internal family systems from saying, Oh my gosh, there's a whole new part. We had no idea until this moment that there's a whole new part for us to learn about and explore and talk about what, you know, what we're just going by decree. We're going by what someone says is mm. true mm-hmm. without, without, and this is the difference because people will say, well, political theory is the same way. It's like, no, that's evidence-based. There's research to that. And that's based on years and years and years of peer reviewed literature like that. There's a scientific process to it. It's, um, yeah. it's, it's not the same. It's that's different than me going into a room for 10 minutes, coming back and say, I've got it. We're missing a puzzle piece. Hmm. There's no foundation to that. There's no, there's nothing to me. There's nothing where you can see me reading, you know, literature about puzzle pieces missing and saying, I, here's, here's my formulation. There's no, you can't see me finding missing puzzle pieces. You could see me doing psychological research that says, hey, this modality is helpful. But the question is, well, what's helpful? Is it that you, there actually is a puzzle piece missing? Or is, the, is it that the, the metaphor of a puzzle piece missing is helpful? Does, it, mm-hmm. does the idea help? Mm-hmm. And if the idea is helpful, that's fine. I'm totally fine with people using these different ideas. I'm worried about the reliance on them. I'm worried about the decree aspect of someone saying, this is, I have found it. I have discovered it. And there's a whole new thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm worried about. And I think that speaks to, there's a, there is a part of us that is looking for that. Like, and I think that's why it works so beautifully as a metaphor, because we are constantly looking for those missing pieces. And so that modality might be, okay, right. I just need to learn about that then. And then I need to learn everything there is in that. And then you just, you keep sort of, oh yeah, there's another part that you need to learn. There's another part. Um, yeah. And yeah, exactly. Sort of this never ending quest. Exactly. Yeah. And so my goal is to, I want to teach people and I have my own modality it's, or system. It's called the polyvagal trauma release system. It's built on polyvagal theory and mindfulness and 
self-regulation. The, the goal is, can you self-regulate? Because I don't want this to be an unending thing. I want you to have the tools of self-regulation. Boom, here you go. Here's my practices. Here's my thoughts. You know, Here's my package for the way that I work in therapy or the ideas that I bring, the teachings that I bring, and I'm packaging them in my courses, right? But there's no... There's no like theory. There's no, I'm just trying, how do I put it? There's no idea. There's no metaphor that I'm running with. It's like, can you self-regulate? Here's the pieces to self-regulation. It's very concrete. You know what I mean? Hmm. It's very concrete. I don't think it, I think someone could use this with other modalities. That's fine. But there's, you're not relying on me as the expert to, explain some metaphor you know it's like these are the pieces of self-regulation here you go that, that's it yeah yeah you know it's, that a, makes sense. it's the um again another metaphor but like what i often bring to when i'm kind of talking to new people i'm coaching it's like it's like a this i'm like the solid rocket boosters on the side of a space shuttle where it might be helpful for me to be part of like helping you launch up to space, <laughs> but ultimately you need to jettison me. Yeah. Um, otherwise you won't get to orbiting height and then you're like, you've got what you need from me. Um, and you don't, you, you're yeah. not relying on me again and I'm gone. And that's, um, that's yeah. how it's supposed yeah. to, to work really. Like the untethering, you're not then connected to your, uh, you know, your courses right. and, and everything and like, yeah. I like that. Yeah. It, I designed my stuff with the idea in mind that someday this person's not going to need my help. Exactly. And, and the way that my model is, is I, all my teachings are here explained in a lot more detail than I would ever be able to get to on the podcast. Like, here you go. And then we meet up twice a month and people can come and say, Hey, I have a question about this. And then I explain it like, okay, this is what I meant. Here's how it could look run with it. Good luck. You know, it's, so it's, I'm like the base, you know, or the rocket fuel. I like that. It's a good analogy, but it's, I'm a resource for like explaining polyvagal theory and the self-regulation pieces, but it's not like I, I don't have my own idea of like, here's psychology. Here is the essence of you like a part or a shadow or whatever else. Like there's no, I don't have that, you know, it's just pretty bare bones. I, I try to be as minimal as possible. This is what I think people generally need. It might look different person to person, but I'm here to answer your questions as far as am I understanding this correctly, Justin? No, here's what you got wrong. Cool. Got it. Move on to the next piece. That's I, I don't want people to rely on me at all. <laughs> Um, I hope I can act as a resource for them to turn to and for them to build that self-regulation capacity on their own. Or, you know, of, of course, in therapy, if they need, if you need therapy, if you need coaching, go ahead, do your thing. I'm not trying to prevent that, but I do think a lot of good can be done from your own at-home practice. That doesn't cost a ton. Absolutely. And on that note, where can people go to, uh, <laughs> that was a beautiful segue, uh, yeah, to find out more and to sign up for that stuff. Uh, my website is the hub of everything. It's probably the best place to go to. It's justinlmft.com. Justinlmft.com. I, I don't 
think there's any guru stuff there. I think it's just, you know, I teach and I research and I do the best I can to explain complex polyvagal stuff in particular, but there's no, you're not going to find any like guru icky stuff for me. I don't think <laughs> I really hope not. I haven't experienced that from you. And that's oh, one, good, of the, right, cool. one of the reasons I really appreciate and trust you. Yeah. Well, hey, if you ever do, let me know. Cause that's, that would be a red flag to me that like, I'm going too far in one direction. So <laughs> I don't want to be that person at all. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, Justin, thank you so much for giving your time. I mean, we've, I feel like we've, we've gone deep, but we've only scratched the surface. Um, so yeah, maybe you'll have to come back on at some point and we'll, uh... Oh yeah. This is super fun. I'd be happy to. Yeah, absolutely. This is super fun. I, I like this, the depth of the, these conversations. So I, I appreciate you giving me the chance to, to, you know, explore some ideas with you. I appreciate it. So there we go. I hope you enjoyed that. It was so good to speak with Justin. Uh, I had such a nice time. It was a, a really lovely way to spend an hour. Um, and I really appreciate Justin's ability to, to kind of communicate with clarity and passion. It's kind of really bringing out things that, you know, I've been exploring around the polyvagal theory and he just, yeah, kind of brought a, a clearer light to it than I had before. So do check out his website. Go to justinlmft.com. Um, I think LMFT stands for Licensed Marriage Family Therapist, um, if I've got that right. If I haven't, then um, I guess that's just sort of a phonetic alphabet thing, LMFT, Licensed Marriage Family Therapist, so that you know how to get to his website, justinlmft.com. Um, and there's information there about his courses and his um, Stuck Not Broken Total Access subscription which is really, really reasonably priced and you get access, I think, to absolutely everything uh, that he's done there. So if you're looking for a deeper dive into polyvagal theory, then I would highly recommend um, going with Justin because as you've heard in this episode, he has a way about him um, that I appreciate. And I think he's there's an integrity and a trust there that I very much appreciate. So um, yeah, and we're exploring uh, Anchored by Deb Dana, as I mentioned earlier, um, this season in the Haven. So it's autumn uh, 2023 as I'm uh, talking here. Uh, so if you want to take a slow dive through a practical application of polyvagal theory, now that's kind of what we're doing. And I'd love you to join us for that um, if you're listening um, during the autumn of 2023. Um, if you're not, then you can still catch up with previous sessions um, if you join the Haven, come and check out the hyphen haven.co uh, as in the dash haven.co. Um, and yeah, so our, our live sessions are based around uh, the explorations that Deb Dana shares in the book. Um, I've kind of used them um, as uh, to, to kind of combine with with some ambient music that I've created. So I'd put together some sound anchors uh, with readings from the book. Um, so it's yeah, really, it's a a chance for an exploration and an experience of uh, rest, calm and connection as we're moving through the book slowly uh, together. One of my, um, I guess, foundational visions of doing this as a book club study was to not get too bogged down in, in the theory of it, but to, um, to just take 
bits um, from the book and and use them to uh, really experience um, co-regulation together in the group and um, yeah to give some uh, anchors for self-regulation uh, around those meetings as well so uh, that's the idea and um, yeah all of those sound anchors are going to be available um, into the future for Haven members so if you want to get your um, little mittens on those then come and join uh, the Haven the hyphen haven.co um, and I would love to welcome you in uh, all right that'll do us I will be back again uh, soon for another episode of the gentle rebel podcast until then do remember that you are an artist the world needs your art now go and make somebody's day bye-bye Thank you.